2.7 says this, it, in, the, in the King James Version, deep calls unto deep at the noise of your water spouts or your waterfalls, and all your waves and your billows are gone over me. Uh, the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me, and my prayer unto, uh, unto the God of my life. And I love the way the Passion Translation takes this Psalm 42, 7 and the way it says it, where the statement is made that my deep need in my life calls out to your deep love, God. My deep need in my life calls out to your deep love. There's a deep need within us that calls out to God. One is because that's where we came from. It's from God. We came, we were created by God. We had no life without God. He breathed his spirit into us. So in every person in this earth, there is a God-sized hole. And when I say it's a God-sized hole, that means that's a hole that only God can fill. Everybody has it. All Everyone does. Now, not everyone acts towards it. Not everyone responds to that. And lots of folks fill that hole with all kinds of other stuff try to anyways, but it never really gets them where they want to go. Um, you know, you can try to fill it with pleasure, but pleasure won't get you there. You can try to fill it with, fee, uh, with um, money, money won't get you there. <clears throat> so that God-sized hole in our life can only be filled by God, can only be filled by God. There are a lot of us here that when we came to Christ, we came because someone preached a message about heaven and hell. And they told us that if we didn't receive Christ, that we would go to hell and that hell is eternal. And you know what? That's absolutely true. But that isn't the, rece that isn't the reason we receive Christ is so we don't go to hell because it was never God's intention for mankind to go to hell. Are you all here? Never was. God didn't create man so that he would have to make a choice whether he'd go to heaven or hell. God made man so that man would be with him forever, period. Man made a choice to disobey God. God didn't make that choice for man. Man made that choice, and therefore man, according to the book of Matthew, ends up going to hell, which the Bible tells you is reserved for the devil and his angels. It was never even created for mankind. Hell was not created for man. So you've got to remove some of the storybook stuff that we have, you know, about the devil and hell and that he's kind of tormenting. That's more of a Greek-Roman type thinking that he's working together with God. The devil is not working together with God. He is working against God. Are you all here? So, but hell is real and it is forever. And if you don't have Christ in your life, that's the only way, the only truth, the only life. I just heard a statistic that about 68% of people in the United States actually believe that when we get to heaven, all our family will be there regardless whether they've ever accepted Christ or not. Well, that's not true. That is not true. Those who have accepted Christ, we will see again. Those who have not accepted Christ, we will never see again, ever. Say, so, well, I don't like it. Well, I don't like it either, but it doesn't matter whether I like it or not. The truth is the truth whether we like it or not. So there is a hell, and it is forever, and it's eternal tor torment. It's not, you know, it's not all the craziness that people talk about, you know, that like you're, 
you know, if, if you have gluttony problems, you'll eat donuts the rest of your life in hell and, you know, until you can't take it anymore. No. See, you are created to be with God. Every one of you here. Children, teenagers, adults, seniors. All of us are created to be with God for eternity. But that God-sized hole in our life because of sin has separated us from God. And uh, this isn't something that you're unfamiliar with, but it's, we've just, because of sin, we've been separated. Separated means we, in the scripture it says we died, death is separation. You know, when a person dies, they don't cease to exist. They just stop existing where they were at. You know, when, we're, when we die, I just did a funeral a couple weeks ago. When we die, we're just separated from our body. We're no longer in an earth suit to function in the earth. Now we're in spirit, depending on our decisions, whether we've decided to ask Christ into our life or not, we'll spend that eternity with God because, we're, because we've accepted what Christ did for us or we'll, we'll spend that eternity in hell. But we don't cease to exist. There's people like that out there teaching these crazy doctrines like about annihilation and that mankind, the spirit, just ceases to exist somehow um, throughout eternity, no. That isn't true at all. Our deep need cries out to his deep love. You know, when I heard messages on salvation, and it was all based off of don't go to hell, and, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're a sinner, and you're evil, and you're wicked, and you need Christ. I went to the altar a ton of times. How many of you ever did that? I mean, I went up like every week because, you know what? I knew I was a sinner. I knew I wasn't right with God, and I knew my eternity was uncertain. It wasn't until, it wasn't until that I found out that God's love is the reason that we come to Christ, not because of a fear of hell. When I found out about God's love, it changed my whole perspective and created a new security in my life. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about God's love a little bit. I want to share with you about how God's perception is and, 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 and really the crisis that we have in the, American, in the American church today is really a crisis of love. It really is. In my opinion, it's a crisis of love. And we struggle with that because, because we don't really understand the love of God, how the love of God even works, how that, what God has said to us. I want you to understand this morning, if you don't get anything else out of this message today, that God loved you in your darkest moments of your life. It never changed. Not once did God ever change his opinion of you. That God loved you. And, and I want you to turn with me, if you would, to the book of um, Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 and verse 6. Romans 5, 6. Everybody doing okay? I don't know how long I'm going to preach this morning. Probably not too long. So that's the promise I'll make up front. Okay. So Romans chapter 5, and I want us to look at verse, verse 6. For when we were yet without strength... In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Who did Jesus die for? Ungodly people, right? That's you, right? That's you and me. That's every one of us in this room. Ungodly people, people that are not godly, not perfect, not doing everything correctly, people that 
are un. You know, like you have Coke, which is cola. You have 7-Up, which is un-cola. It's not cola. There's no, there's no cola to it. Do you get it? So you and I, we were without God. Now, we might have tried a lot of different ways to, to be like God before we ever accepted what God did for us and accepted what Christ did for us, but we were ungodly, ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man would one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commends his love to you and me in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. Uh, let me say it again. Christ died for us. Not when we were good enough. Not when we were going to church enough. Not when we were giving enough. Not when we were serving enough. The only reason that he did it is because God is love and because God created you to be with him. So he wanted to get things back to where they needed to be so you could have a relationship with him. That was always his intention. That was always his plan. When man made the choice to turn against, this is the really, you know, when you talk about, uh, people say God is omnipresent. You know, he's everywhere. God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. God is also omnicognizant, meaning he has, he sees every contingency. He can't, there isn't a contingency. Nothing catches God off guard. Right. Nothing. So Adam and Eve make a choice to turn, mankind makes a choice to turn against God and try to be their own God is basically what they did because that was the whole temptation was is that in the day that you eat of the tree, you'll be like God knowing good from evil. So you can be like God. You could have his role. You don't need him in your life. You won't need him. And they believed the lie. They believed the lie. And they ate from the tree. And at that moment... God was not caught off guard. Now, he made them ask, he asked them questions to make them respond. But he was not caught off guard by what happened because the Bible tells us that he had already a predetermined plan about how to fix all this if all this went awry. He already had a predetermined plan because he's omnicognizant. So he sees every, you know, he sees every direction that things could go because he's not only all-knowing, but he sees any decision that you make, God is already ahead of you. Hallelujah. He's already ahead of you. So nothing is catching God off guard here. Now this verse is telling us that God is commending his love to us. This is the whole basis of our Christian faith and understanding is, is this is what God commends to you and I, is, is that we understand that it was his love while we were sinners that saves us. Not our love while we are good people. Not our love while we are churchgoers. Not our love while we are givers. But his love for us while we were sinners. Now when I came to that realization... When I came to that understanding in my own personal life, I realized that God loves me no matter what. And there's a big difference. Now, now here's why, I, why I'm bringing all of this up. There's a big difference from serving God from a place of love than serving God to get love. Big place, okay? 
A big, there's a vast, that's a vast gap right there. Serving God from a place of love or serving God. See, I'm going to tell you that I think most Christians, they serve God to get love. They think, well, if I do all the right things, God will love me. And I'll tell you how I know that. Because when things aren't going good, they start saying stuff about how they think God doesn't love them anymore. Thank you. Because they start getting upset with God. Why aren't you doing this for me? Why aren't you helping me? Where are you, God? I thought you cared about... Look, all of that is you and I just telling God we don't really believe what he said. <laughs> and that's awesome. And the reason that we get like that is because we're not coming from a place of love. We really aren't. You know, imagine being married to somebody... And every day, they're not sure whether you really love them or not. What that would sound like. Well, do you love me? Look, I did the dishes. Do you love me? Huh? Look, I cooked dinner. Do you love me? I vacuumed the floor. Do you love me? I made the bed. Do you, do you love me? Do you love me for that? I brought my paycheck home. Do you love me? I let you spend the paycheck. Do you love me? Huh? I bought you some flowers. Do you love me? See, how irritating would that be eventually? Because what we're doing is, is that we are trying to do, we are trying to serve to get love. Instead of realizing we are loved. Look, if you're married to somebody and you're not sure they love you, you got a bigger issue. One, they're still there. That's a good sign. Right? <laughs> now, we all love to hear, you know, everybody likes to hear, I love you, you know. I, all of us, when I love when my wife, you know, she rolls over and kisses me and says, I love you, or we stop in the hallway passing each other and smooch and I love you, or we hug and, you know, and we, we everybody, that's great. I'll, that's, that's different, okay? That's expression from a place of love. Not wondering, do you love? And so what happens is, is that for you and I as Christians, is, is that what we have to be careful of is, is that not realizing that God has already commended his love for us, that while we were yet sinners, that Christ died for us, we begin to base our Christian walk with God, whether we're doing good enough or not. Now, you say, well, pastor, are you telling us we don't have to do good? No, a person who understands the love of God, wants to operate in what pleases the one that loves them. See, I'm I live a holy life, not because it's wrong to do bad things. I live a holy life because it pleases the one who loves me. Okay? See, the, the, the trouble you'll deal with in your life, you know, it's just like in this it's, 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 it's like this in a marriage, okay? You have a husband and a wife, and the husband is not watching pornography because of that he knows it's wrong. Well, look, it'll still be a temptation to you if you're just doing it for that reason. But if you're doing it from a place of love because you love this woman, and you would never want to do anything to hurt this woman, 
Can I get a good amen? amen? That changes everything. That changes everything. That I would never want to have to go to her. I mean, and there, look, I'm not perfect, but I'm just saying I would not want to have to go to her and say, I've been looking at all this other stuff and hurt her. Why would I want to do that? Now, you're not going to hurt God, but why would I want to hurt someone who loves me? And figures, because they love me, I wouldn't do anything to hurt them. Right? I mean, Sharon expects that there's just stuff I wouldn't do because I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to hurt her. And I don't want to hurt her because why? Because I love her. I love God. Why do I do what I do? Because I love God. Because, not because I have this great capacity to love God, but because God had a great capacity to love me while I was still a sinner. See, what is the heart? What is our heart to be as a servant that we serve from a place of love, not to get God's love? I don't give my tithe so I can look to heaven and say, Father, do you approve? I don't pray so that I can say, Father, do you approve? I don't read my Bible every day so I can say, Lord, look at me. How it, I'm doing good and I'm way better than Joe. I mean, look, Lord, how look how I'm doing because I'm doing good, God. And here's what God says. Look, I'm sorry, son, that you feel so insecure about the love that I have for you, but I love Joe just as much as I love you, and I don't love Joe any better even if Joe is out drinking his mind into oblivion every day. Huh? So, well, come on, pastor. I mean, God's got to, you know, God's got to, no, I'm not talking about God and love. God loves everybody with all his heart, with all his mind, and with all his strength. God does not trust everybody. That's a big difference, right? Because you've got to be faithful to show God you're going to do the right things. But you can't do that out of a place of insecurity. You have to do that from a place of security. So what happens is, is that in this God hole in our lives, we, we become Christians. We find out about the love of God. Man, we get excited. We're, we're thrilled that God loves us. And, and we're, and, and, and we, but immediately what the enemy wants to offer to us is this, is this subtlety of, yeah, but if you do this, he'll love you more. Right? Give up this and he'll love you more. If you fast enough, he'll love you more. You can't find one verse in the Bible, not one, from Genesis to Revelation, where it says God loves the faster more than he loves the unfaster. Do you fast? Yeah, I fast. Absolutely. But I don't do it because I'm trying to get God to pay attention to me. Because I don't need God to pay attention to me. He's already paying attention to what he loves. This is why, look, this is why your Bible says, Galatians 5, 7, that faith works by love. Because faith, without love, it don't work. You're doing it to try to get God to do something. I see it with people with healing. Well, if I can get God to heal me, well, I'm just waiting on you to heal me, God. Look, God has already determined by his love for you and I that he wants us well. 
There's too much Bible, too many Bible verses that talk about healing, that God sent His Word and He healed us, delivered us from our destruction. Matthew 8, 17, He took sickness and He took our sicknesses and our diseases upon Himself. He carried them away. I mean, there's just too many things that He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him and by His stripes we're healed. There's just too many things that God has already said about healing. But when we begin to try to make our receiving from God about our own works, then we, are, then we are serving God for love instead of serving from a place of love. See, when I worship God, I don't come to God hoping that my worship is good enough to get His attention. I worship God from a place of knowing I got his attention. How does that change everything? You know, in the Old Testament, you read a great testimony of this with Elijah. And Elijah, you know, he's up on this Mount Carmel with all these prophets and of, the, of Baal, these evil people from Jezebel's group, and they're all up on the mountain. And, 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 and Elijah says to them, he, he looks at all of them and he says, all right, here's how we're going to prove who God is. Whose God is God? This is how we'll prove it. He said, what we'll do is, is that you get an ox, I get an ox. You get wood, I get wood. Okay? We're gonna, what we're going to do is, is that we're going to build an altar. And the God who answers when we pray is the God who is God. Okay? The God who answers is the God who is God. All right. So the prophets of Baal, man, they start up. They get their stuff all ready, and then they start, they start going at it. And it, I mean, and when you watch them, they begin to start screaming. They start cutting themselves. They start thinking if we bleed a little bit more, if we yell a little bit louder, if we do a little bit more, we'll get God to do something for us. We'll get God to answer, with, but nothing happens. So then Elijah, he starts chiding them. He just starts giving them grief. He said, look, maybe he's busy. Yell a little bit louder. And in fact, in the Living Bible, it says maybe he's in the bathroom relieving himself. Nothing happens. In fact, they get to a point of exhaustion where they just finally collapse because they bled and screamed and cried and yelled all they could. Then Elijah, he steps up. This is a man who comes from a place of love, not a man who comes from a place of trying to get God's love. Elijah steps up, and he begins to say, all right, here's what I'm going to do. You guys didn't get anything to happen with all your deal, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make it a little harder just to show you. Now, there's a, real, there's a secret behind this. I'll tell you what it is in just a minute. But he begins to tell them to bring buckets of water and pour it over the sacrifice and begin to dump the water on top of the sacrifice until it's actually, the, it's surrounded by water. The, every part of it's surrounded by water. And the reason he did that was because he knew that the prophets of Baal, that when they would do these sacrifices, they had a little bit more time to set up their, their, their scenery that when they would do these sacrifices, they would put coals down underneath the ground. 
And then what they would do is, is, is they would have it covered. You know, and when you cover those coals, they'll stay there until oxygen hits them. And then when the oxygen hits them, they'll begin to ignite, right? So they have them covered up. And when they would get around and they would begin to pray and they would begin to yell and all the distraction, they would begin to move stuff off of the coals that were around the altar. And then that, that flame would shoot up from the bottom and everybody would go, Baal is God, Baal is God because it would burn the sacrifice. I want you to see what Elijah did. Elijah said, look, there is, I, I want you to know that there's no way there's no coals underneath this wood. There's no way this could happen. I'm going to make it so that you know that the place that I'm coming from and the place of authority that I have and the love that I have experienced in my life, I want you to know that there is no way this could happen without God stepping into the scene. And when he begins to pray, he says, Father, I just ask you right now to send fire from heaven, and here it comes. When will you get to the place in your spiritual walk where you will realize that you have that kind of authority with the Father in heaven? That you don't have to stand there and scream your head off to get God to pay attention to you. You don't have to work it up. You don't have to go through all these motions. All you got to do is take what he has given to you from his place for you and begin to speak over it and begin to call from heavens, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven to begin to take him face value at what he said. It's because we come from a place of trying to get love. Our faith looks that way. And our giving can look that way. I give this, Lord, and I just believe that you'll bless me if I give it. Look, you don't have to tell God to bless you. If you do what God says, the blessing is already there. Hallelujah. You know, this was the whole deal that the church in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 4 struggled with. If you look at Revelation chapter 2, they're doing all kinds of stuff, but it, God said, look, you guys left your love. You've, you've left the first love. You've left the relationship that we had. It's all become about the works that you're doing. It all becomes about the things that you can make happen. See, if, if what I'm doing is based off of me, I'm doing nothing different than what the Bible talked about with Adam and Eve. I'm no different than they are because what I'm doing is I'm falling into the trap that I can be like God. I had a God-like hole in my life. I needed Jesus, but I needed it to only be filled by Jesus. The church couldn't fill it. Religion couldn't fill it. Tradition couldn't fill it. Nothing could fill it except the love of God. Hallelujah. Timothy, um, I want you to turn there with me. I'll wrap up here. Second Timothy. Second Timothy, and I want you to go to chapter three. And uh, This is such a great passage, and this talks about the last days, okay? So people ask those questions, what about the last days? What's going to happen in the end times? Verse 1, this know also, 
that in the last days perilous times shall come. And the word perilous in the Greek language, is, it means stressful. Very stressful days will come. Times will come. For men will be lovers of their own selves, comma, covetous, comma, boasters, comma, proud, comma, blasphemers, comma, disobedient to parents, comma, unthankful, comma, unholy, comma, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof from such turn away. Now, it's interesting as you look at this, I, 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 I wanted to use the word comma there because in the actual original languages, there are no commas. There's no periods either. So there's no comma. There's no punctuation in the original text. Man added those, those punctuations in there to try to help to clarify, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I want you to think for a minute about something here in this passage. The first thing he said that would happen is men would be lovers of themselves. Men would be lovers of themselves. Men would be lovers of themselves. I want you just to think for a minute. Since there is no punctuation, we can figure what punctuation we want to add. So let's just for the sake of argument here for a moment. Let's add a colon. Let's add a colon. For men will be lovers of themselves, colon, which you know what that means, and this is all what will follow after. Okay? This is what will follow. Do men that love themselves covet? Yes, they do. Are men that love themselves seeking pleasure? Yes, they do. Right? It's all about me. Right? You know, they did a survey, I'm I'm setting you up this morning, but they did a survey, this just came out not too long ago. They asked people what was the number one, we'd like you to tell us why you go to church. The number one answer, 80, almost 86% of people in the church said, the reason I go to church is to have my needs met. To have my needs met. My spiritual needs met. That's why I go to church. Now, is there anything wrong with having your spiritual needs met? No, absolutely not. But if that's your reason for going to church, you're going to be disappointed. Because the church can't meet your spiritual needs. Amen. See, this spirit is in our church. It's in our homes. It's in our businesses. It's in our... It's what we think about the future, and it's in our country, and it's in the world. It's in Africa, South America. It's a sign of the end times that men will be lovers of themselves, meaning I'm number one. I'm number one. That's why we love. What? That's why we serve to get love, because we can never find love serving ourselves. We can't. Not the true love that we need because only God can fill that hole. You understand what I'm saying? So we do all this stuff and 
Maybe we do, you know, we give to missions. We, all great stuff. You know, we gave almost $4,000 to the Widow's Fund here just a couple weeks ago. And one offering. One, one. One offering. That's awesome. But if we did it to get God's love, we missed it. Because it should be from a place of love. Hallelujah. I came to church today not because I have to come to church. I don't have to go to church. I don't have to. Well, I do because I'm the pastor. Okay, I do have to come. Okay, I get it, right? Chuck's got to be here. I mean, we got to be here, all right? <laughs> no, I come because, look, I love God. Because God loved me. I think of Richard Jolliffe. Over 40 years ago, drunk, driving down the road, out of my mind, didn't care whether I went and drove into the side of that bridge or not, didn't care, told God I didn't care, and yet, God loved me. Think of the times that I was so mad because of the way my life was turning out, yelling at God. Screaming, cursing, and yet God still loved me. Think of the perverted life that I ended up in because of sexual abuse as a kid. And yet God still loved me. You know, when I stood I mean, for years struggling, most of you know this testimony, but it's just that example of the love of God. I'm not uncomfortable with it at all, so don't you be uncomfortable for, with me, for me. But I was praying and had a vision, and I saw myself as an eight-year-old boy in that room with that 18-year-old kid molesting me. And I looked to my left, and there was Jesus. And I said, Lord Jesus, I don't want to be here. I don't want you to see, I don't want you to see this. I don't, want to, I don't want to look at this. And Jesus said to me, Richard, none of this changes anything that I feel about you. When I got up that day, I was healed, completely emotionally healed over it. I mean, I mean, flat out, Sharon will tell you, I got up and testified about it. My parents never even knew about any of this until I got up and talked about it at church. I want you just to think for a minute. Close your eyes with me. I want you to think about stuff in your life. Things in your life, there in your past. And I want you to see Jesus. He's right there in the room with you. He sees all that. He knows all that. He knows the lies. He knows the adultery. He knows the, he knows the running around. He knows the things that you've done in your past. He knows all of it. The stealing. He knows it all. Sees it all. He, can, he knows all, and he's standing right there with you. And you're having to stand right there with him. And I want you just for a moment to hear his words to you. It doesn't change the love that I have for you. It doesn't change it at all. It doesn't change. The love 
that I have. I have, not had, I have for you. How does that change us? The enemy provides a placebo to the church. It's called works. If I do this and 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 do this, then I earn my place in heaven. I earn prestige. I earn the right for God to hear me. And God says, look, you've totally missed the boat because you're not serving out of a place of love. You know, when we serve from a place of love, what does it change? It changes everything. Just go with me. I'm going to look at one last verse and we'll be done. I want you to go to 1 Corinthians with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. First Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. Now, this verse is Paul responding to a bunch of people fighting in the church. Big surprise. Uh, fighting in the church over who's the best, who's the... Who's the most important? Some were saying, well, look, I was baptized by Peter. And others are saying, well, I was baptized by Paul. And he basically then comes back and says, well, who in the world are we? We're nobody. Christ is somebody. And so he said in verse 1, just as he's kind of wrapping up this thought, he said, verse 1, so let a man take account of us as ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And it, this word ministers, and, and you might have some uh, different words, servants might be one of the words that's in your Bible, but this word ministers, if you study it out, it's the word huperetes, and what it means is under rower. And it's a reference to how the Greeks and the Romans, the way they did their boats, if you've seen any of the old movies with the, you know, the boats, the Roman boats, like Ben-Hur, you see a row of rowers that's, on, that's at one level, and then below them is a level of rowers at a different level, okay? And they actually, in some of the boats, would go three tiers because the boats were made for ramming. That's, what they, that's how they would defeat in the Navy. I mean, they didn't have all the cannons and stuff back then, so they would get to ramming speed. And so the faster the boat went, the better the ram, right? The better they were able to hit other boats. And so what Paul is saying in this verse is that, look, all I want you to think about me this, this is how I want you to look at me. And this didn't buy, he's not saying this to try to make everybody look at him and go, oh, look how humble he is. He's saying this because he really believes this. He said, look, here's the deal. I'm a servant. I'm an under rower of Christ. I want you to think about that for a minute. I'm an under rower of Christ. On the boat of the kingdom, I'm down in the bottom. I'm below in the lowest level of that boat. And that's where I'm rowing from. You're trying to put me up on the deck. I'm not on the deck. I'm down here at the bottom part of the boat, and I'm rowing. I'm an under rower. And you know, being an under rower is not that great of a job. Because whatever you're under, it's coming down on you. They get sick up there, right? You get sick on you. They're bleeding up there. They're bleeding on you. They go to the bathroom up there. You're at the bottom of the boat. You're not at the top of the boat. And you definitely are not on the deck of the boat. But here's my point, why I'm saying all of that. Because Paul is saying, 
Look, I'm glad to be where I'm at. I'm glad to be an under rower. I want you to get this in the kingdom because as we, as we finish up here this morning, Paul was not complaining about, because he goes on, he talks about all the stuff that happened. You know, I went through this, and I went through that, and I went through this, and all these things. I'm, look, I'm nobody. Because he's, he, he's not saying that in some sense of humility that God would go, oh, look how he belittles himself, so I'll love him. What he's saying is, is that I'm in a place that I love to be. I'm not on the deck. I'm not the captain of the ship. I'm, I'm an apostle, and I'm in the bottom of the boat. And I'm glad to be down here because I know the one on top of the boat cares for me. I know the one up at the top there that's guiding this whole ship. He loves me. He cares about me. He's watching over me. And so I'm not worried because I'm down here. I'm just going to gladly pull my row at my oar every single day. I'm going to serve him because he first loved me. Not because I, Paul knew it. He said, look, I didn't care about God. I, didn't, I wanted to kill God's people. I didn't love any of them. I didn't care about any of them. I threw women in prison. I threw children in prison. I had people killed in the streets. I didn't care about any of them. But God still, no matter how ugly I'd get, he still loved me. And so with joy, I sit in the bottom of the boat at the lowest level, pulling my oar, sweating every day, toiling, always remembering the one I do it. This is why Christians lose their joy, because they forget who they're doing this for. This is why Christians leave churches, because they forget why they came to the church. This is why Christians quit giving. This is why Christians get bent out of shape towards other people. And look, sit in the, be glad. When you're glad about what Jesus did for you, you're not worried about, well, look, I'm not, I should be on the top level of this boat, not down here. I've been here for 20 years. I've been in the church for 30 years. I've been here a long time. I should be able to be, you know, I should at least be a deckhand or something around here. Paul's saying, look, if you want to get it right, if you really want to get your Christian servitude right in your life, be glad to be in the bottom of the boat because you deserved hell in the first place and the one who loved you got you out of hell because of his great love. He already paid a debt that he didn't even owe. You owed a debt you couldn't even pay and he gave you eternal life and a place on the boat. You don't even deserve to be on the boat, friend. How does that change anything for you and I? Oh, I guess I'm in children's ministry today. Oh, gosh, well, I'll just do my tour of duty. See, that's exactly what happens to people's Christian faith. It just becomes a duty. Oh, I got to do it. Somebody's got to do it, you know, Pastor. Somebody's got to do it. But when we minister and serve, out of a place of love that God has for us, how can we not? You know, Ralph, when I, I, there have been times I go back and I'll work in the kids' ministry. You know what I see in that kids' ministry? I see little Richard Jolliffe in Sunday school, right? I see pillars in the church, men and women of God, that were in that church when I was a little kid who would pray with me and would sing with me and would teach me the Bible and put up flannel grams. You remember those? You know, they put the old 
flannel gram things and tell us stories about the Good Samaritan and about Jesus' love and blind Bartimaeus. And you know what? When I, I could still see, I still see those people. These are under rowers. These are people that got in the bottom of the boat and they weren't griping and complaining about it and saying, oh gosh, well, we got to go in there with that Jolliffe kid. Those kids are poor and they got nothing to give back and, and they come from a broken home and they probably are not going to make it. They'll probably just all end up on drugs and, you know, and messed up and living on the streets. No, they looked at us and said, oh, Jesus, gladly, gladly, we will serve in the bottom of the boat. We'll pull with joy. How can Paul and Silas sing in the prison? How can they do that? You can't do that naturally. Are you kidding me? And it wasn't a move of the Holy Ghost that got him singing. Paul didn't sit in there with his back bleeding and all battered and Silas and say, oh, I feel the move of the Holy Spirit right now. Let's worship Him. No, what happened on that, in that room is they thought, well, look, gladly I'll serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Gladly I'll worship my God. If I die here in the prison, then I die in the prison. But I'm going to rejoice and serve my God with joy because, look, I deserved hell and I'm going to heaven and I've got a relationship with Jesus Christ in my life. I was on the road going the wrong way. Now you got something to sing about. Amen. Now you got a reason to worship. Glory to God. Life isn't going to go the way that you want it to go. Things aren't always going to turn out how you expected. You're not the only one writing the story. But here's what I do know. If we have the attitude, the heart of a servant, that we love that we, that we serve God, we walk with God from a place of love instead of out of duty, instead of out of obligation, and we do it from a place of love, then love will emanate into every aspect of our lives. People know, and you know it, when someone's going through the motions. I see it during worship. I'm not judging anybody. I didn't say your name. You can see it in our classrooms. You can see it in our youth group. You can see it in our ushers at times. You can see it in our worship team. When we're just doing it, because that's what we do. But you can also see when someone's doing it from a place of love. Because it's real. And if there's anything that this world has an indictment against the church about, and it's justified, is we are not real. We are not real. So let's get real. Stand up with me, please. <laughs> wow. Glory to God. Father, I pray this morning. Lord, uh, I just ask you right now by your Holy Spirit to move through this place. Lord, and God, talk to each heart. Lord, you know every person here. You know those who are here that they've never even entered into a relationship with you. You know those that have had one at one time and walked away from it. 
you know those who are here are not really sure why they're here, and <clears throat> those who are here, Lord God, that really they just have a heart of love and gratitude for what you've done. Father, I just pray for each of us, for wherever we're at in our walk with you. There's only one way, Lord, I know to really have change in my life. And that's to turn from the direction I'm going towards the direction I need to go. Not because I have to, but because I want to. So with that in mind, while heads are bowed and eyes are closed and all over the building here this morning, if you'd say, Pastor, my life, look, I, my spiritual life, there's, this is a no-judgment zone. My walk with God, uh, my attitude, <laughs> my serving needs some adjustment. My heart needs some adjustment this morning. My heart, my spiritual heart, that I got to get back to that place in my life where the love that God has for me drives everything I do. I'm going to ask while heads are bowed. We're just going to, uh, Tim, if you just put some light music on for me. I'm just going to ask that uh, you come and kneel down here at the altar. We don't ask to do this every week, but I do feel that at times that, look, a way to turn is just to take a step and do something that uh, we don't normally do. So I'm going to ask you right now, if you say, Pastor, look, that's me, my heart. I just, um, I'm not talking about receive, getting born again. I'm just talking about you know that your, your attitude Look, it's not been right. There's things you're heading, you're, you're angry, you're frustrated in your Christian walk, you're angry and frustrated about your finances, you're angry and frustrated about your job, you're angry and frustrated about your kids, you're angry and frustrated about your marriage, you're angry and frustrated. Look, that's all fear-driven. That is not right. So I'm asking you to come right now. Kneel down at this altar. Make it right with